0: The basic premise of the company has always just been if we like just put ourselves out in a, in a beautiful way, that, that everything else will follow. That's fundamentally the, the model of the whole of the business is just to stay true to and honest to and in love with what we're doing and, and really work hard at it. And then everything else is like, a, is going to be a great side effect of that.
1: Hello and welcome to the Creative Weirdo Podcast because today's weirdo is tomorrow's genius. My guest today is a great friend and mentor of mine, Chris Bari. Chris is a founder and creative director of motion design mega studio, Tendril. Now one of the things I admire most about Chris is that he has a really broad knowledge of art and science and technology and he uses all that to inform his creative work. He's like a constant source of inspiration. He's a true motion design renaissance man. In this conversation, we explore Chris's childhood influences and how the seeds were sown for the creation of Tendril. You'll also get to hear some of Chris's thoughts on finding and developing your creative voice, the future of visual culture, and much, much more. As with any conversation with Chris, there's a ton of wisdom there, a ton to be learned. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Chris Barry how would you describe yourself to our listeners Chris?
0: I would describe myself as uh, just like a really curious person. I'm really curious about a lot of different things. I'm really super into lots of different like subjects in the sciences. I'm always digging into um, tangents. I'm, I'm super into like anything to do with like quantum mechanics and particles i'm really into natural history i recently got i think we we talked about this a little while ago i've been uh super interested in uh mycology <laughs> lately which and is the, which
1: is uh, it, that's like fungus and stuff right yeah,
0: yeah yeah the the world of fungi uh or fungi uh, which is just fascinating um yeah fundamentally just super curious super um super curious about about the world and and um, and uh, you know creating things and definitely uh, connecting with with like-minded people in the in the best cases and uh, and kind of pulling all of that stuff together you know pulling the the curious interests together with others and and hopefully finding the right ways to translate those things into beautiful outputs and outcomes and learnings for everybody involved mm-hmm. yeah I would, and uh
1: i was gonna ask another similar like kind of related question so like what were you like as a kid like were you the is that like a common thread were you always into a, sort of is, is there any was there any point where things kind of changed direction or do you think you're pretty much just kind of like a, a big version of little chris so to speak
0: that's a great question too i i would love to believe that i'd say i'm i'm constantly trying to be that (laughs) right (laughs) or remember who that kid was yeah um that that is uh i
1: you know is that is that important to you to like sort of stay in touch with that child like sort of
0: absolutely the,
1: the, the wonder or the just the just the Childishness, I suppose, in a sense, like childishness is maybe considered a negative word, but there's so much about being a child that's awesome, right? And there's, something, there's so much that's inspiring about kids and so much that's like, just from memories of being a kid, how, how awesome things can be when you're a kid, you know, it's just like a very different perspective. So is that, is that something you're kind of consciously sort of channeling
0: in your work and, and life? yeah definitely um you know Calvin and Hobbes you know yeah. the co- uh, uh-huh. the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes um I'd say I I'd like to yeah I, I, the, I don't know what to say about that other than there's something in that um being connected with your like pure form of unjaded imagination that that is really really um, precious everyone's got it you know and that um, recently uh, I guess I've been getting in a little bit more in touch with that because my parents are both retired now and um, I like over the past few years a lot of artifacts kind of surfaced and they they were really good reminders of of some of that that stuff um in particular i think my dad was emptying out his archives of stuff and he was finding all these like little little artifacts one of them was these um little uh kind of like uh, lab logs that i had made when i was growing um microorganisms in petri dishes in my basement at wow. home when i was a kid Yeah, with like little drawings of the progress of the growth of everything as it was. Was this like something you did on your, was this like
1: a school project? Or was this something you were just doing for yourself? I was
0: kind of, I think probably a bit of both. I was definitely doing that kind of weird stuff uh, on my own. (laughs) Yeah, weird science. Definitely. Oh, So you
1: you definitely were legit, like deep into the science, like even even as a kid.
0: Uh-huh. I was, I was. Well, thanks to my dad. He was a microbiologist at the time he was teaching. And um, he, yeah, he, he introduced me to a few sort of really simple ways that I could do myself, um, you know, w- uh, ways of, of of looking at uh, the natural world that I could handle myself, just basic, like how to use a microscope, how to set up a slide on a microscope and do like a simple stain of, you know, like scrapings from your cheek or your tongue (laughs) or or whatever and just like sort of see what's there Um, or go we used to go to the um, there's a a pond here in Toronto called Grenadier Pond in in one of the big parks like the equivalent of like Central Park here in, in Toronto called High Park and yeah we used to go there and just dig up like a take a glass uh, jar and dig up some of the mud and and water out of the out of the pond and then bring it home and it was you know full of amazing little creatures like water fleas and parameciums and all kinds of little little things and uh and he he also then worked for a while well you know around the same age at the science center here in town so I was there Spent a lot of time on my own. I had a lot of alone time as a kid because both my parents were working. Professional only child. I've got two sisters. Okay, actually, I do. Yeah, so I'm I, not an only child, but we were really independent. My little sister, we and I are a little closer, about three years apart. But my older sister is around six years older than I am. So she was, you know, well into her teens by the time I was, you know, like seven, eight years old and um had other interests she was going out like partying and you know it was the 80s and uh and getting in trouble and stuff like that and my little sister was she was just like a little bit too small to just to hang out with she was kind of my baby sister so yeah I ended up you know just kind of doing a lot of a lot of exploring on my own um which uh, which was awesome because there was a lot of a lot of stuff to explore. Um.
1: Would you would you describe yourself as a weird kid? And before I, like before I should probably like uh, um, preface it by saying I was I was definitely a weird kid, you know. And and I think of weirdness as as a positive trait. Did you feel weird as a kid? Like maybe not 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 looking at it from now, but like back then. Did you feel different or weird in any way?
0: Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I was really small. (laughs) I'm still not like a large person, but I was definitely like a small kid. I remember, um, and, uh, in, in, I I went, I went through a few different, like I went through a couple different schools. I think I'm lucky because, uh, I didn't really, um, the the school I ended up spending the most time in was full of weirdos. It was a tiny little school. So I went, initially, I went to uh, actually uh, a Ukrainian school as a really little kid that was even doing subjects in in Ukrainian language. Were your parents Ukrainian? Yeah, mix of Polish and Ukrainian. They came over um, like many others did uh, just after the war. So they were refugees kind of coming over on ships uh, along with a lot of Eastern Europe after the war. But, uh, so yeah, they, I, I grew up in that tradition, you know, speaking Ukrainian, my grandparents, I spoke with them in Ukrainian and, um, there a little, there was a little bit of Polish on my mother's side as well. And, and was there
1: like a community uh, yeah. of a sort of Ukrainian sort of expat community where you lived or were you kind of the only one?
0: Yeah. I guess you well, went to
1: the school, a Ukrainian school. So I guess there was.
0: There was, there was, my parents were totally in that. So when they first came to Canada, it was, um, it was, there was a large landed immigrant community of Eastern European immigrants, uh, Ukrainian and Polish. And they were, um, yeah, they were, they were, they had, there was a whole part of the West end of Toronto that was like heavily Ukrainian. And, uh, and by the time I was, you know, it was still around. So when I was growing up, you know, and uh, for them, it was, it was a, it was a strong kind of landed community, immigrant community, just like today. You could say it's the same here with like the Indian East Indian community, for example, or the Chinese, a huge Chinese community in Toronto, the Eastern uh, European community is now sort of, in it's like third generation. So it's sort of like, it, it's getting to that point where the, you know, like my, um, my nieces and nephews don't speak Ukrainian anymore. They probably, probably won't learn it, but I grew up as like a first generation so the language was still active and um we went to the equivalent of like scouts for for kids that but it was all kind of like ukrainian language and kind of learning that the history and tradition i learned i'm lucky in this in that i um i really got a i got a great um understanding of my own family history from my grandparents because they were full of stories especially my grandfather was a huge influence on me in my life he uh was uh really close to nature too he had studied agronomy which is agricultural science when he was um in the you know a student back in the ukraine and when the war came around he he kind of escaped his village he worked as a a driver for the U.S. military driving Jeeps around, kind of eked his way out, escaped, and managed to make his way to Vienna. And that's where he met my grandmother. And they, um, they, they fell in love and had my, uh, my mother as a child in a refugee camp in Vienna and then got on, a, on a, an American ship to get over to, uh, to Canada. I think they landed somewhere on the East Coast. Half my family ended up in Chicago and half of them ended up in, um, in Hamilton. So my mom grew up in Hamilton and then she met my father in, uh, in Toronto when she went to university and and he was also Ukrainian because I guess on some level she was trying to, uh, make her parents happy by finding a Ukrainian husband <laughs> something Sorry. like that. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, um, yeah. So there, yeah, there was, there, there was a, a pretty strong Ukrainian community. And so we, we all as little kids went to this Ukrainian school and my, uh, it was, a it was like a primary school, but I got, I went there and I went there from about, I think it was like junior kindergarten up till around grade four. And after that I ended up going, uh, leaving that and going to a music school and that, that Ukrainian school was small. And I was like this kind of, you know, undersized kid, and definitely picked on a lot my i remember i remember there was one time uh, my older sister actually punched out this dude for picking on me she she punched this dude in the face <laughs> my older sister which was like pretty badass she's a total badass um, nice for for picking on me um but uh but then i you know after that instead you know i wasn't in a public school of like 500 kids i ended up going to this really small music school where there were only a hundred, uh a hundred was a boys' school. It was about a hundred of us, and it was really small. And we used to travel around in a choir singing around uh around Canada. We used to sing in seniors' homes, actually, a lot. <laughs> so okay. we would travel. <laughs> this it's is like the longest answer to your question ever. No, that's the whole point, man. That's the whole point. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, we this this tiny music school was like the was super diverse because it was a collection of uh, kids from all over toronto which is this very multicultural city and uh and we were all thrown together and and so right away like as of grade five you know i came out of that ukrainian school which was which was all ukrainian kids and then all of a sudden was in a school with you know filipino japanese chinese african every india every like it was a, a total cornucopia of culture and and it was tiny and everyone was like on the spectrum or a weirdo or 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 way weirder than i was so (laughs) all of a sudden i was like you know boring (laughs) exactly exactly like these um which which was great and it was a in some ways was a kind of a pretty traditional sort of education uh it was kind of old school a little bit but on the other hand it was full of music like we sang every day it was one of our subjects and everyone was musical and from quite a it wasn't a private school for just rich kids it was a school for musically musically talented children which is hilarious because i'm really not that talented at all <laughs> so Well, you, know must have done, <laughs> you must have done something though
1: right you must have yeah did they take, do a test or something and you could play like instruments and stuff like that so
0: there was a test for sure uh a a singing and and playing test uh to get in and an academic test but i remember uh, like for sure i was i was on the on the yeah i barely i'm sure i barely got in because there were kids that were you know like were lit, like legit musical geniuses at this at this school, and that was not me so um you know it was it was really that was really unique and not and kind of unusual and it was also downtown which was really cool so and the kids were from all walks of life there were kids uh, from all kinds of families and backgrounds and um and uh and we all traveled on the subway to get there because it was it was like right in the core of downtown toronto this school so uh that was cool because it was i uh, like I, I spent basically my whole childhood from grade five all the way to like the end of like graduating from high school like really in the core of downtown toronto like in the in the thick heat of like stinky crazy arcade ridden downtown Toronto, which was awesome, gone to all kinds of like subway adventures and kinds of other crazy stuff as yeah a kid. yeah I mean yeah. I know because being, <laughs> being from someone from like a
1: relatively yeah. small town well a sort of medium-sized I guess British town and then living in Copenhagen and then going to me going to Toronto always feels like you know this is a proper city this is like this is a pretty big like metropolis kind of city and that being and that's as an adult but I think you know as a kid those kind of i remember going to london when i was a kid and stuff like that and just that just the fact that you're like half the size of everyone else kind of makes everything double size right but then you've also just got all of this it's just like a cornucopia all these just things and weird like weird things and slightly s- scary things and and like amazing things all happening like it must have been pretty yeah it must have been pretty exciting to be I imagine around the centre at toronto as a kid
0: absolutely there was there was all kinds of uh of trouble to get into and uh and then, yeah no one was really we were like you know good kids basically like we weren't you know getting into any like terrible trouble but um but we certainly you know weren't being watched uh closely we could you know we were left mostly to our own devices what, what was Liverpool, how rough were, for you was Liverpool growing up? Like, I, in my picture of Liverpool is like, is that a pretty tough place to grow up, right?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it. it's like, yeah, there's definitely parts of Liverpool that are pretty rough or, and, and like were when I was a kid as well. I mean, I grew up in, in one of the, the nicer suburbs. So, you know, it wasn't like, probably not that different to like, most other sort of western cities in that sense you know and i was i was a very like i was a very shy very withdrawn kid so like my thing was just to be invisible and to avoid trouble that way you know there was definitely tr- there was plenty of trouble to be had um but i was always kind of I was just kind of like i was trying to toe the line and just not get into trouble you know because i was pretty much just terrified of everyone <laughs> and everything so um i don't know it's interesting it's interesting to hear other people's like experience of growing up because i guess that's one thing especially in this um at least for me now i feel a lot of people i work with and socialize with it's a very international kind of group so um i guess we're you know one of the things most of us have in common is you know we're all sort of from from relatively affluent countries from the west like europe and north america and stuff but there's still there's still a lot of cultural differences and and just the way education is, you know, like the way school is here in Denmark compared to the UK is a huge difference. Like the way I, from what my impression of it, from what I see. So it's kind of like, it's interesting to hear how, um, how other people experience their, you know, schooling and that, that like, and even within a city, I suppose, depending on what part, you know, which side of the tracks you grow up on or whatever, it can be very, very different. But, um, but it's Absolutely. really, it's really interesting to hear your, um, your story there with the science and music and, and the school and everything. And it's, it's already like putting, I'm putting the dots together now on, you know, like having, <laughs> you know, having worked with you many times now and seeing it's like, Oh, that's where I understand now, you know, cause, cause you're always coming with these like scientific, like sort of angles of like, you know. Like images of like microscopic organisms and all these kind of things. It's like, whoa! How do you how do you even know about that stuff? Like, it's crazy. And then and then the musical combination and then just like, yeah, I guess you know being at being one of the founders of Tendril, which is like very, you know, kind of multi. It feels like I mean, Toronto is a multicultural city. But you know, I think Tendril is a really great example of a sort of. It feels like a multicultural. You know, you got that mixture. You got Brazilian and, and Canadian, and then and then there's a lot of other people from all over the world. There, it's like, um, yeah. it all feels like that. It kind of, it's all connected. Seems to me like
0: all of these things you talked about from your childhood. You're right. The I'm. I'm it's so. It's so cool that the the studio is able to be uh, as, as diverse as it is culturally I think mm-hmm. it like we are always we often say I'm sure you've heard it that it's it's like a definitely like one of the components of why it works and what why why the work is what it is it's definitely not about me it's about this really cool mix of like super cool ingredients and um uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds it 's wild I mean if you you know just try to imagine the stories of each individual 's path and you know you know many of them and and have worked with them and it It really is such a diverse group and um, that that 's got to be uh, a recipe for for uh for success in any field you know just having a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different there's this, that, you know, that kind of idea of, um, you know, crossing disciplines, like crossing, it's like when you cross ideas, you know, often you hear that concept of, if you take two totally sort of unrelated concepts from two different, you know, Like I'm trying to think of a good example, but like, do you know what I mean? When you're coming up with, say, like a concept for whatever, for like a film or like a, you know a vision for a brand or whatever like taking two um uh, very unrelated ideas from maybe like two vastly different fields and finding a way to like put them together Mm. often results in like like a really unique kind of new perspective and absolutely
1: yeah absolutely yeah I, i mean from my perspective that's basically like that's kind of the skill of creativity it's not it's it's not like this magical thing where you just you know make things appear in your head it's like it's it's actually it's almost like a science right it's like getting two things putting them together to create something new and the, the sort of the quality or the the sort of i guess how fresh and interesting the idea is depends on how sort of disparate or you know random those two different ideas are right like and, and there's a lot of examples of artists and like musicians you know people like david bowie and stuff who was you know taking so i mean a lot of musicians right a lot of and especially the most you know some of the most considered the most creative ones they were always ones that were out like just basically stealing things right but stealing from places that no one else would look and combining things in ways that no one else would think of and that's yeah. where the, that's where the real like kind of skill is in right? actually seeing that like that like uh crossover point where it becomes something new i think
0: yeah. Bowie is a great example. He's such a, he's like a complete, like one of those like total artists, <laughs> you know, like yeah. in every walk, like the embodiment of like creativity, literally. Like, yeah. uh, and he was really open yeah. to about stealing,
1: you know, he would say like, I steal from everywhere, you know? Yeah. Everyone. And uh, I, you know, I, I like, I, I like to draw people's attention to that when, because I still think there's a lot of kind of mystique or like, um yeah i guess mystique is the right word around around creativity you know that it's like oh i'm not creative and they're creative and it's like you know as if it's some kind of like obviously some people are maybe more naturally like drawn towards the quote-unquote creative fields or whatever but really i think it's you know we're all we'll have that ability and it's just something you can practice right and it's like, and, and also like you say you know we are talking about as a kid like all kids are naturally creative so it's not like you don't get some kids that are just have no imagination like all kids have an amazing imagination and it's only yeah. it's it's only a lot of us forget or just don't practice it because it's kind of trained out of us in some ways like a, a lot of you know our education kind of like it tells us not to think not to use our imagination in a way it's like no 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 don't use your imagination like just repeat this stuff that i'm telling you you know and so um yeah i don't know why i was going with that with that but uh but yes yeah, stealing is is uh is is one of the core
0: components <laughs> it's, it's a great. fundamental skill <laughs> it is,
1: absolutely yeah, yeah and obviously there's right you know there's there's a right way and a wrong way of stealing but you can just stealing things in a way that like uh, yeah, creates I mean, something new yeah that's how that's how progress is made that's how like uh, absolutely. Yeah, new stuff happens. I think absolutely. So um you're talking about your your experience growing up, um how that sort of is still apparent, I think, in you know, in the work you're doing now. And like you were saying at the beginning as well, like you know, that's kind of something you've consciously tried to do to like you know, keep a hold of some of that stuff you've had from like from childhood. Is it it was it like a conscious thing with tendril as well like when you started tendril did you have like a clear vision in terms of like we want to make this a multicultural studio was there any sort of like um you know was that was there like an ethos or a plan or was it just like hey let's just get together and and you know do some cool
0: motion design stuff yeah that that's an awesome question they it, it came i mean the the, the start the the it started really small and it mostly was there was definitely an ethos but it mo- the, the the kind of um fundamental reason why um why it happened was because alex and i got we got to a, a point where we felt like we had enough of the tools and understanding we needed to you know, run a sustainable small business for starters, because that, that like the nuts and bolts are critical. So just, you know, getting, we had gone to a point where we, we, we knew enough about managing clients and the, you know, the bare bones of running spreadsheet and invoicing and just some of the nuts and bolts of like how to, how to make it sustainable from a business standpoint. But it was also, it was also primarily about like the, exactly what you just said, like going back to the roots and rediscovering like the source, like going back to the source, the fountain of, you know, inspiration or whatever. And, uh, and having like total autonomy over it. There's this really cool, well, it's not that cool. There's this like not so great short film we made. <laughs> like it was meant to be like a, uh, a series Um, I think we called it something like, um, man, I have to go, I would have to go look it up, but it was, it was something, it definitely had the word manifesto in it. It was like, um, yeah, I think I'd have to double check, but there's this, if you go back, like way back in time, like 10 years ago or, or 11, there's this little short we made called Seed. Uh, and it was meant to be like. A component of a of a, like kind of like a manifesto statement about like creativity and why we were doing what we were doing and there was even like a caption we kind of threw into it that um that was like a statement of purpose and it was really like fundamentally about like working on the things we really cared about and putting out some kind of a uh you know as a yeah, clear enough signal out into the the ether that this is that this is what we wanted to do that we were here to make this kind of work and um and there were you know it was me and alex and and Vinny and leo at the time there were just the four of us and we had met we had actually just at that time we were looking for a i don't know if i'm kind of getting into a bit of a tangent already <laughs> probably I but, think this is good stuff like is good.
1: It's, it's, i'm really that was something i really wanted to sort of hear
0: about too was the kind of the foundation of Tender. basic foundation yeah mm. yeah they the way it, the way it kind of worked from like a, a practical standpoint was that we made the leap it just like you know when people like j- just like anyone making the leap from like having um, like a fairly sort of steady set of circumstances we had like a a pretty kind of stable situation that we like totally destabilized and, and you know when we made the leap to kind of going it on our own because there was no there was no one at the time, uh, there, were, there was no safety net, really. We didn't really have, we didn't have any savings. We didn't have any partners or investors or anything like that at that time. It was just the two of us. But what we did have is we had some leads on some projects that were like good enough that we knew that it would like to carry us for a month or two. So we had, we had sort of set the base up and made the jump and we gave ourselves it was like a year to um to really kind of like um just fully commit like all in uh to building the foundation that's of something that we could build on so it was literally like building the basic basic foundation and we for that year we it was a, we had nowhere to work from for starters so so
1: where were just to, just to get some yeah. context where where were you at this point were you both working like for other companies or what what were you actually doing like how did you guys sort of get to
0: that point where you were going to start something together so yeah that's a good question we were working as like a kind of a co-directing duo wrapped by a company in the states that was repping a few other companies too at the time like uh, mk12 and um there was uh like lobo was on that roster and a few other shops and it was really heavy it was heavy commercial work um we were working pretty much full-time as like permalancers in this kind of like setup where we would you know basically get a brief that would come down and it was, you know, really, really agency driven work at that, at that time, it was almost exclusively agency driven work. And it was a really good way to um, kind of learn the nuts and bolts. Like we really got to, got to uh, get a, a good sense of, you know, how the industry worked how agencies worked how we had to like you know present ourselves in order to successfully try to win jobs but we were like total underdogs we neither of us had really any experience uh to speak of doing that kind of work at that time so everything we learned was like ourselves from the ground up
1: and were you so were you you kind of so so in a way you were you were kind of like a like a two-man studio you know, like were you both were you doing all the production yourselves like were you doing all the yeah. d and just yeah the two there's, of you?
0: <laughs> there's even there's a pretty great photo of the two of us uh like in my tiny i had a an apartment in kensington market which i think you've probably visited. oh yeah i anyway. love that place yeah. In awesome. Toronto, yeah so i had this like really small pad in kensington market it was like nine hundred dollars a month and like janky really messed up space and there was it was a you know frankly cockroach infested in like <laughs> you know pretty down dirty place but you know got a lot of character like you said Kensington Market's got so much personality totally Um there's a there's a great photo we have of, of just the two of us kind of like set up on a table in that space in Kensington Market so that 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 was kind of and then it was just us. Yeah, literally, it was the two of us doing everything from, from like end to end, um, concept to delivery. <laughs> wow. You know, with like a little bit of help. And that was, what, and what year was that? Or what sort of? That was between 2005-ish, like yeah. 2004 and a half. Uh, and then, and went all the way up until around 2009. We made the right. jump like somewhere around 2009. So it's uh, still—I really. mean—it's
1: still relatively early days in motion design, and, and oh yeah, as well. Like 3D was still—you know—cinema 4D was, it was a thing, but I think it was still mm-hmm. pretty, still pretty basic at that time, wasn't it? Cinema 4D, as I recall.
0: Oh yeah, it was super basic. You know, look look at how far that's gone now from yeah. you know from the early days to what's being. Uh, produced and created oh it's crazy now what what people just (laughs) uh, single people can
1: just do things that just blow my mind now and you see like you see stuff and it's just like what one person did that it's like surely not it's like
0: yeah it makes you think a lot because you know we like as as human beings we're you know obviously extremely visual creatures animals and our culture is very very visual. And we generate like enormous quantities of visual material uh, on a daily basis. And now it's, uh, you know, it, it's exponential. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, every individual now is generating images, whether they're taking photos or creating art or whatever. There's this tremendous volume of image uh, that's being produced and generated. That's
1: true. Uh, and, and, and also like the, the media for it, it's like, every the the amount of screens like if you compare it to like if you compare every screen to like a canvas you know like if you think about the renaissance which was considered like you know a time when art kind of exploded and it was still just like you know a few maybe a few thousand paintings or something you think about like now it's like every everybody has like a, a constantly changing shifting canvas in their pocket and several in their in their home and then set and then wherever you go there's there's more and it's just like it's mind-boggling how much like how far that reaches right and and like you say it's it's all kind of um yes it's all visual like creation It's it all needs to be um filled with you know with content that's created by people and so it's like every, you're right. Everybody is, everybody is a creator. Now everybody's creative, whether they think they are or not, like whether you are just taking a snapshot with your phone or you're, you know, spending hours building stuff in 3d, it's all like, um, yeah, we're all, we're all artists essentially. Right. We're all visual artists.
0: Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. And there's gotta be some kind of evolutionary process going on. I mean, I like, I'm, I'm, I certainly don't have any of the facts on that, but it's hard to imagine that we're not becoming more sophisticated on some level or attuned to image. And, you know, when we look back, you, you know, we, we can think back to even just in our lifetimes, what's happened with the quality of image, you know, in, you know, not you're right at the, you know, looking back to the Renaissance, you have like photo paintings and it's amazing, but in, in the context of our lives, we've seen, you know, really, really primitive games like, you know, Atari games turn into what we see now. And you've got kids now that have grown up like on, you know, starting from that point onward. And it kind of, it makes you wonder whether there's going to be a kind of like a more large scale perceptual shift in, in, you know, understanding and digesting complex imagery as mm. we move forward or are we going, or, or have we not, are we still sort of working with that, you know, old school brain and, uh, and will you know, really be looking forward to and relying on some kind of like prosthetic in the future, other than mm. all these prosthetic digital tools around us to kind mm. of like navigate that landscape. You know where that goes like in the future
1: yeah i mean i think i, I definitely you could it's pretty clear you can see that like you know how uh, as like as human beings are like our visual whatever it is part of the brain or whatever the process is visuals is like kind of being altered by the technology right like with a, like you know with with the higher resolution images and stuff like that. Cause remember, you know, like when, when you and I were kids, you know, we were playing Atari games, which, which was just like big blocks moving around. And like, to me, that was a spaceship, right. But when you look at it now, it's just like, it's a couple of squares, you know, and that was, that was mind blowing. And then just like, you know, TV back then was, was like S what's called SD now. It's like, uh, was it 720 pixels by 540 or something, which now looks like even my, I was looking at my one of my old show reels recently because uh, I was like going through some of my old work to show it in a presentation and it's like and it's like five by four format and it's like and you have to basically have to put it like in the middle of the screen because on a four scale on a 4k screen it just looks like all blocky so you have to like scale it all the way down but then back then that was like that was that was high definition you know and it's only now like now looking it back to and even to just you know once 4k came out when you get used to looking at 4k and you look at hd and suddenly it looks all kind of smoochy and not clear but i mean i can even remember looking at the you know the first i think i think it was when h when hd first came out hd was like for all the kids out there that like don't remember when HD came out that was a big deal at the time because it was doubling the resolution it was the equivalent of like 4k and I remember looking at HD and, and I couldn't tell the difference I was like eh, it looks the same to me and then but then after like getting getting an TV and then suddenly looking back at the the SD and it, and the SD looked like crap so it was almost like my eyes weren't even like developed enough to see the, the difference in the detail until mm-hmm. I got used, to them, and then my eyes got used to it, and then I and then I could totally notice the difference by looking back at the um, the lower resolution stuff. So that that suggests to me it's like there's some stuff that's actually happening in our eyes or in our brain that's like you know we're actually processing more information, more visual like information. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. It, it you know in a lot of ways you 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 were mentioning like the renaissance a minute ago like the renaissance painters and um they you know the pursuit of like high resolution was kind of like their their jam right like there's this really cool documentary have you ever heard of it called tims vermeer i think it's called tims vermeer i don't think so it's about um this this um like computer scientist kind of he he was um he was looking at Vermeer paintings and he realized that there was chromatic aberration in Vermeer's (laughs) (laughs) and then he started questioning well wait a minute it's not like this work was was seen through a lens. It wasn't like he wasn't painting through his eyes. He was lens (laughs) Question. He may have had lens flares. There, there were there were these chromatic <laughs> artifacts in his in his work, and he sort of started wondering, "Well, wait a minute, how is he doing this?" And he came up with this hypothesis that Vermeer was using, like, a, basically a, the equivalent of a pinhole camera before it, the discovery of the pinhole camera, to produce like an image on canvas that he would then like basically paint by numbers on top of like he invented a
1: camera before anyone else just to paint with.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like that, you know like that whole like period of art, you know, not all, you know, of course, before it like moved into abstract art and modern art was all about like depiction of reality in like the most perfect possible way. And like that's the same trajectory we've been on since, you know, 8-bit right we've been doing Mm -hmm. this like crazy thing to get to now where everyone's using like these really great render engines out there to um to reproduce like material reality now so it's not just about like the ray trace anymore and and just the image but it's about this sort of like ultra super tactile material reproduction with like scanned materials and scan like mega scans and and um making things like you know simulating the materiality of the physical world in like this kind of like totally like hyper sensory way mm-hmm. and we're we're pretty much there like there's 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 not much further to go like the, the that work has kind of reached an apex it feels like almost like we're um where maybe we we can look forward to something potentially shifting and moving, you know, where, where will image culture move next is an interesting question to ask ourselves and wonder about, you know, will we see is, you know, is AI going to play a big role in this? Is there going to be, there's a lot of really cool stuff with computer vision out there these days, like, um, you know, using image analysis and using the the eye and mind of the computer to kind of like see things in ways that maybe we don't or can't or um it it makes you think of like the electromagnetic spectrum like we see things through our eyes and like the the spectrum of light that we're perceptive or receptive to through red green and blue and, and whatever other cones and rod cells we have in our eyeballs but then there's all these other ways of visualizing reality and seeing the world around us, you know, and, and abstract art and modern art and non-photoreal rendering and, and any kind of form of reproduction kind of taps into that. But maybe there there will be like very new paradigms and ways of seeing reality that we haven't even touched yet, that maybe like the uncharted territory of the next 10, 15, 20 years. Who knows? Yeah. Is
1: that way? This yeah. is super. This is really. I can. There's so many ways I could take this conversation. Like, because I know yeah. we were ta- we were starting to talk about like the genesis of Tendril, but I feel like this is um, yeah. super interesting. Like, maybe just to like, just for a moment, I think we should like. I, I want to continue down this trajectory as well, because I also I, I'm really interested to hear also like your thoughts on where is is our industry going? Where is sort of creative industries in general going like visual arts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I guess one thing that, um, I just wanted to like draw, draw a little bit of a a through line that I'm, you know, this like science background that we started with, you know, and the music and all that stuff and like, and this kind of, which is really, and you know, and it makes perfect sense. Like, that you sort of ended up in industry like motion design, which is kind of like, it is a bit of a balance between art and science, right? Like there's a, there's a very technical aspect alongside the creative aspect. So it's kind of like, it's, it's I think it attracts people that have a little bit of a, you know, a sort of interest in both hemispheres, you know, a little bit of a science interest and a bit of an art interest as well. Um, and just like, um, it just made me think a little bit about some like some of my students and since I've started teaching motion design and stuff like that and people who are just starting out and getting very overwhelmed with, you know, all the different software and, and all of the stuff that people are doing, like all the amazing work that's coming out and feeling like, you know, how do I, how am I going to get there? Like I need to, I need to learn this software and that software and all that other stuff. And the thing that, that I think is really important to to point out is even if you've only just started in motion design or whatever stage you're at, like if you don't have that much experience in motion design, but all the other experience you have before that, regardless of what field it's from, it's like, it's all fuel. It's all like good stuff that you can bring into your motion design. It's like motion design is like one sort of expression, but really what you're expressing is all of the other stuff how you see the world like all of your interests and and it's just like one way of bringing it through and i think if you see it like if you if you start to see rather than seeing it as a weakness perhaps that oh yeah but i spent 5 years doing this other thing and now i just started doing motion design so i'm not, i'm just like i'm so behind but maybe you're not behind maybe you need to put time into your craft but all that other time you spent doing something completely random different is like how can you channel that into what you're doing now? Like, how can you, um, you know, see that as that's a bonus? That's like stuff that you have over everybody else. That's the thing that actually makes you more valuable than the next person. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to I just wanted to to bring that up because, um, I think you know you're you're a great example of of that of how having a, a, a sort of v- varied interests and a varied kind of background is is like a massive benefit to you now it's 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 like an asset right it's like it's like you bring that to work every day and it informs your decisions and it, it makes you you know the the kind of the the, the creative inspirational figure that you are in, in your environment right because you're coming up with all this like this just a different perspective and 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 a lot of different like informed views from from different areas and then and then just channeling it through that lens of motion design
0: yeah yeah I 100% agree with that philosophy definitely and, and let you know kind of goes back to that idea of like the diversity of like the people and the, you know that you pull together and your own influences for sure are so so crucial and giving yourself time there's a bit of like a you know, an obsession with getting there fast these days, maybe, or mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, and it's like, you, you know, often makes me want uh, think about the act of like writing an amazing film or book. You need to live first. Like, you need to definitely have something. I mean, maybe you've had the most incredible life by the age of like twenty, and and and, and you know, you've experienced so many things. <laughs> There's like enough food for like an awesome awesome film or book right away but um it there's something to be said for just like really yeah it's like exposing yourself to some you know a lot of things and giving yourself the time to uh, to steep in life a little so you know some of the most amazing creative people out there ever uh didn't really do anything that they're that they look on as their best you know great work until much much later in life it's quite common um, can think of some great examples like the architect Frank Gehry is a great example of that, you know, worked on, you know, pretty much under the radar until he was like 60 years old and then made like the Walt Disney concert hall and the, you know, the Bilbao Guggenheim and like the, the most crazy experimental architecture anyone had ever seen ever when he was, you know, in his sixties and seventies even. Um, Yeah. I, I personally wish, that I could have more experiences you know and it would be it's the it's like you say it's the food it's the it's the, the ingredients for all this that you can pull into your other work and your other expressions and ultimately it's like you're like you're singing right you know your song in the world and um you you, you know you you have to f- kind of find figure out what you want to you know what you want to sing about and what you know that that does it does take um you know it's worth giving that giving that time and space mm. yeah, letting it and pulling in as much influence and variety and diversity as you can into that absolutely that's a, it's a good it's a good viewpoint it's a good reminder too uh, that there isn't really like a there's no hurry. It's more about like finding your truth for yourself to put out because then, then amazing things will happen because then you'll, you know, someone will hear that crazy song you're singing and they're going to want to join in or you're going to make some crazy collaboration, but it'll be like real and true and awesome because it's yours and it won't be like, you know, just, you were in a hurry and had to get something out there, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just cause, you know, just to make some noise. Cause there's a fuck, there's so much noise out there already, you know, there's a huge noise threshold. Mm. Um, to penetrate that you got to really be, you know, something uniquely yourself.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, for me, it's all about the process and focusing on the process because if if you're too, if you get too focused on what's happening, you know, what other people are doing. And like you say, it's just not, it's, it's completely overwhelming because it is just, there's just, just just the density of stuff that's out there now. So if you're you're spending too much time, like looking into the future and sort of trying to sort of place yourself, like where do I fit into all of this, which is kind of like, um, yeah, it's like, it's like trying to direct yourself into the, like sort of make the future happen now as it were. Whereas the, all of the kind of goodness, all of the stuff, all of where all, of, I think all of the, you know, the growth happens where you actually start to create really good stuff. It, it's all happening. It's all a process, right? It's all, all of the, I'm sure it's true of, of, of everybody, like all of the best the work that I've done, like or of the, the stuff that I like the most has been, it wasn't a case of me, setting out to do something really good it was it was more about me like following my sort of inspiration and just actually just just listening to what was inspiring me and and then letting that energy kind of come out you know and actually let that just get sucked into the thing that I was creating because if you get too you get too focused on the outcome then it kind of it drains that like that life force out of it i think and and it drains that sort of that that inspiration and the drive which is what you need to really get if you if you really want to get wherever it is you want to go you need that drive and uh yeah so I, i think that's um that's really great advice to um yeah just live and not yeah not not worry so much about obviously you do have to put time into learning if you're doing any craft that that takes time you know learning it but but i think it's equally as important to not be doing it as well equally important to actually be like you say going out and actually finding your you know what is it though i actually want to create with this tool you know like the, the the software or whatever it is is a tool and then it's the you know it's it's a tool that we get to use however we want to so it's important to to, to also develop that, uh, that oh for sure that vision that perspective and that just comes through life right it's not it's not like a thing you can get in a bottle you just that's that's basically what we're here for right as I see it yeah. like get all these perspectives and then and then that's where great art comes from is is people who have really interesting perspectives and then they figured out a way to share it with other people in in a new way and um and and that's and then you you see it you can just that's when when you see stuff that's inspiring it's because someone's speaking to you in a new way with something that maybe it's something you haven't seen or experienced before or something you have but
0: you've never seen it in that way before exactly and then it penetrates that noise barrier right it kind of rises above it mm. it's hard and it's harder too right because there's the 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 stuff that's you know the trend driven work that's out there is it's really tempting because it's so easy to get approval and get um, you know to just feel good because it's it it's liked <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's out there and it's liked and we're naturally you know many of us inclined to to have this belief in our minds this kind of insidious belief that no one could possibly like what we, you know, what's in, you know, that, you know, that sort of, that thing that's preciously yours, you, you know, often generally believe that no one could possibly ever like that. <laughs> like who yeah. the hell will like is going to want that.
1: And it's scary and, too. It's scary to share yeah. stuff because it's more personal. Yeah. So there's a chance if, if somebody yeah. judges it, then it, it could potentially be quite painful as well. I think yeah. it's very natural to have that feeling.
0: Oh, totally. And and you know, but it's very easy to dispel that, when you look at your favorite things too, like, you know, just to pick out a super obvious example, like we love Blade Runner, right? The original Blade Runner, like all, all of us motion graphics nerds love It, it was a complete totally. and total flop, right? Like no one liked it. Yeah. Uh, when it came out, it was not, it wasn't popular. It definitely wasn't, um, you know, just, just a sort of painfully obvious example, but it definitely, um, it uh it's the harder route to kind of commit to and and um and and listen to that and find that inner like kernel of whatever it is but it's 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 totally worth it and and, and it's a nurturing process of like or figuring out how to tune in onto that frequency into your on your of, your, of yours you know the i think we may have talked about this once. There's this awesome book uh by um uh David Lynch called Catching the Big Fish. Oh, that's right. I still haven't read that yeah. yet. I need to read it. It is yeah. it's a absolute gem. It's the most readable book ever written <laughs> for starters. Wow, that's a, yeah. It, yeah, it's a it's these little okay. it really is. Yeah, these little tw- tidbits. Uh you can just pick up uh and the, the the type is nice and big and the chapters are really short <laughs> that's my kind
1: of book <laughs> a lot of pictures
0: <laughs> yeah but the everything in there like there's no junk like each little tidbit in there is like this kind of like great little anecdote and if you love david lynch's work and yeah. speaking of weirdos and like someone who really kind of 100%. Like, followed his path right yeah um uh he these great little anecdotes so if you're into david lynch there are these great little insights into that's how that shot came about like wow crazy uh you know there's a lot of intuition involved in his work you know some directors you know plan and storyboard everything to the to a t and you know they've they've already Probably you know extracted the essence of what they needed, but he kind of plays a lot on intuition and is into this kind of this idea of um it it's largely driven by giving yourself space and tuning out the noise so that the good things have a chance to surface and you know he of course is is very much a proponent and advocate of meditation and the practice of meditation, but there are lots of other avenues um and ways to tune in to your own frequency so to speak Mm -hmm. out there that's worth chatting about i mean like i'm sure every creative person probably has a really cool way of their own in their own way of their own of, of like tuning in to the ether right yeah where they're
1: i think for a lot of people it's probably unconscious like, you know, yeah. you cause I think it was for me for a long time. And then it's only since I actually started teaching and stuff that I, I had to sort of actually really look at it and break it down. And, um, but yeah, it's a really, uh, it's it, again, it's like, it's, it's kind of, it, it sort of plays into that whole thing of creativity being this mysterious thing. That's like, and it is it, it cause it's not, it isn't really a science. Like there's certain things you can do to sort of like make it more accessible. But there's still this, like, by by its nature, I guess, it's still a little bit, like, ethereal. It's still a little bit, like, mysterious, I suppose, that you just kind of, you have to let go of your logical mind in order for it to to sort
0: of take effect, right? And that's, Absolutely. Yeah. You do have to dampen that logical mind and all that, like, gack. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> uh, that upper layer of gak it's kind of akin to the there's a really interesting question uh is that is that is the question of consciousness, right? Like where does oh, yeah. consciousness Well, it's just getting right it's getting deep. <laughs> it is and it's connected probably connected to the idea, you know, to the to that concept of like where did it where does the like the it's it it, it it's something like you said, it's a it's a layer below the it's some it's some other um, subconscious kind of um, aspect of life and you know, often ideas are, are portrayed as having a life of their own or like ha- are are kind of being alive in a sense right there's this sort of i there's this there's this sense that an idea has a life of its own it's almost like bringing something into life like when you and, and we talk about projects that way too we bring a project to life mm-hmm. we release it into the world It has a life of its own it yep. like you know <laughs> reaches its audience in many ways it's akin to this kind of like process of however it is that it happens that consciousness comes to be and it that that's you know it's a really interesting question to ask and just meditate on and think about um, there aren't any of course answers out there, but I think everybody has meditated on it and has some belief system or idea about like how, yeah, mind and consciousness comes out of nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, I
1: totally agree. And and yeah, like you say, there's no, I, I don't, it's not something that has an answer. I don't think at least not in the sense of, you know, a kind of not in the way that our logical mind might see it, but asking those kind of questions is, I think, really powerful. I was going to say important. I mean, I guess it doesn't. It, it depends, but certainly powerful. Like certainly, and and from a creative perspective, I think just it's part of that. Of, of just being open I think to open to not knowing which I think is an aspect of creativity is you know being okay with not understanding something being okay with just like being uh, just in the midst of something that's far bigger and and just impossible you know just something you you will never really understand but just being in it just to just for the hell of it just to sort of have a look you know because because the logical mind closes things off right it puts things in boxes and it's like i know this i know that i know that and when you're in that frame of mind there's no there's no space for anything new to come in so and and yeah like and that's what kids are like too right because kids don't have a preconceived notion of the world when they when they arrive they're just pure like uh sense making machines or just pure like you know absorbing machines just like looking and listening and feeling and just trying to maybe not even trying just like just experiencing it right and uh and it's it's only over time that that we kind of we teach our kids that you have to you know this is this is that thing and you have to give it that name and you have to do this thing the right that that way and not not this way and all of these kind of things putting all these rules on top of something that is inherently kind of just um um without any real uh doesn't have rules you know the real the, the oh it's, the totally. self. it's like it's just it's just it just is like life just is and then we we put a lot of sort of guidelines and maps and rules around everything which we have to do in order to be like you know to sort of function and do our thing but it's not the ultimate reality
0: yeah yeah you're right about that i mean they we all you know the luck those lucky ones among us encounter people in their life who see the you know the spark of imagination and kind of try to nurture it in people you know if you're lucky you have those like people one or two or three or many in your life that like really see that there's something there and want to want it to like turn into something amazing but for the most part and largely everyone in their lives will will encounter and does uh, forces and people that don't want that you know to, to to come alive that want to kind of like try to slot you into like a box or to um or maybe they're angry because or they're in a place where they're frustrated because they never you know they want their ideas to happen or their like thing to come to fruition, but they didn't let it and um and they're angry you know and so then they they take it out on you and they don't want your idea to happen mm-hmm. and or there's uh you know people who just maybe completely lost touch with that like thing that they loved once and are just like going through life like having forgotten everything that mattered, you know. But then we're lucky, those of us that are able to meet people like, you know, I'm lucky to have met you. We're lucky to have met those like amazing people in our lives that we're collaborating with that like bring us the opposite, that bring us like an exchange of ideas and inspire us to do things and like the people that you've met that you that you're lucky to meet and that you encounter are almost as important as, as ever as anything else, as like that like process of tuning into yourself and everything else. It's like the 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 people in your life are are gonna have a huge impact, or you know, do have a huge impact on on ultimately like the the you know how free our minds will be, right, will be able to be. Mm. It's hard to do that on your own, like I guess is what I'm saying. Like mm. it's, it, and it takes strength for everybody to like surpass all those little obstacles that, that are going to stand in their way and, and hopefully like penetrate through and find those like very disparate spread across the world people that are going to be the ones they can like really truly create with. Like, look, look at us and the, the having worked together, who would have imagined like you from Liverpool and me from Toronto, Alex from Brazil, like the work, the guys we work with like Nates and, Slo- you know, Slovenia and um, Rich, like way yeah, off another side of the- That's a truly side. global, like, yeah. We're so lucky organization. that yeah. that that's possible, right? Yeah. I mean, five yeah. hundred years ago, never and well, like never 20, had years that ago, twenty years 20 ago. Twenty years was, ago, you know, it's like this. It yeah. really is
1: like, um, yeah, an incredible time, you know. Yeah. Like for the reasons we already, you know, with mm-hmm. with with the whole creativity thing, that we are all artists now. We all have, you know, like tools and the means to like to create. Doesn't matter who we are. Pretty well, pretty much. I mean. Mm-hmm at least you know in, in the western world like that's it's completely you know everywhere right and then and then we also have this and even in the midst of this you know the whole pandemic thing um it you know for all of the like for all the downsides like it is opening up boundaries even more for like collaboration and you know it's it's sort of really it almost feels like it's kind of once and for all kind of washing away these boundaries that we had that were really based on, you know, a kind of older way of thinking really that, you know, that we had, cause, cause those barriers don't exist and, you know, ba- borders and boundaries and all those things are just, um, they're just made up things and you know, there's nothing to stop, stop us from just jumping on a, you know, jumping on a zoom call with people anywhere yeah. else in the world who has an internet connection. And it's really, like yeah like you say it's it's insane and that the um I, I i totally agree with you with the like the value of, of of collaboration and and being able to sort of surround yourself with people that that you can like just sort of have a similar vibe with you know and that you can create things with and because I, I feel like that you know as, as an individual you can you can come up with, you know, really interesting ideas and stuff, but, but but it can, when you're with the right people, that can be like amplified, you know, it's like sort of single neurons in a bigger network, right. That just becomes something larger. Yeah. um, Definitely feels like that to sort of, to bring it back around to, to tendril again, you know, it feels, that really feels like that's, you've been able to do that, you know, with, with tendril to sort of create this, like, um, uh it it does feel like a very collaborative environment you know like it's very complementary even though it's you know it's 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 a relatively large company for like emotion design but it but it feels like that's one of the things that uh, i love about working with tendril that it feels like a very uh it feels kind of very intimate in a way like everybody has their role and everybody sort of contributes and everybody sort of everybody's individuality is embraced it's not like you're trying to force everybody to be like you know clones just churning out the same thing it's like you're sort of inviting in all of these different as people from different like backgrounds and environments and then creating an atmosphere where people can sort of freely contribute and um you know and collaborate and and it's like a a really nice recipe for um for like creativity and and great work
0: yeah thanks i mean it, it it's you i i believe you're right and it, it's just thanks to staying true to the idea that if you you know back to that idea of like your whatever your song is or whatever your you know whatever your voice is trying to really like take that to heart And try to nurture it in others. That you, you know, try to really trying to see that in others and like let it flourish. You know, (laughs) like it, it, the basic that that the basic premise of the company has always just been if we like just put ourselves out in in a beautiful way that that everything else will follow. That's all. That's that's fundamentally the the model of the whole of the business is just like to stay true to and honest to and in love with what we're doing and, and, and really work hard at it. And then everything else is like, a, is going to be a great side effect of that. And it's not to say it's not without, it's like major challenges and crazy bumps and all kinds of fuck ups, like you know, epic proportions that's life, right? It's life. Yeah. <laughs> along the way. Yeah. Like huge ones. But, um, but it, you know, that's the belief that holds it together. That, that mm. always kind of, you know, that there's always something there to come back to. It's crazy the way people find themselves though, you know, like you, you see something that stays in your mind and next thing you know, you're you're working together. You know? mm-hmm. And no matter how far distances separate you and and what other forces are working against that, somehow or other, like people find a way. You know, it's that like Jurassic Park life finds a way thing. You know, it's like creativity. <laughs> <laughs> somehow you know it's the weirdest thing in the world but like there's nothing that that stands in the way of um like-minded humans i think in all walks of you know finding them each other and then making things happen like that that's like that's something that gives you a lot of faith in the future and you know optimism about like Mm. the possibilities because they you know like look at just look at the potential out there and it's barely tapped. Like we say we use 10% of our brains, you know, or at least there's that sort of misnomer of like that we use 10% of our brains and like, what's the capacity? The planet's like that. Like we think of like the capacity of the planet that we're using, you know, and, and that with the more open minded, everybody is to everyone's potential and the more we work hard to make sure everyone gets a chance, the more open, the more possibility there is for ev- you know, for everyone, all of a sudden, like it's, ex- it's hugely exponential what, what we can accomplish and what's possible. Um, and so that's like the most empowering, awesome idea ever. Right. And it's super exciting and fun and cool um, to think about. There's a lot of billions of brilliant amazing creative minds out there what's the poss- what's the potential with that I agree oh,
1: shit. yeah I, I agree too I, I think it sounds maybe it sounds a little bit cheesy but I feel like everybody has like everybody is a potential genius you know it's just it's just about finding I think most of us don't tap into it because we don't quite find that thing that that is our sort of unique thing but I think all everybody has a unique kind of just because in you know, we're inherently we all have a different perspective on life because we all no, but no two people are alike. No two people are had exactly the same combination of experiences and stuff like that. And it's just that uh, I think a lot of people just just don't believe that they have anything really much to give. Partly because they've been sort of led down a path towards something that was never really the thing that they were, you know, was their thing. And you think about so many there's so many people that like were uh you know people that were incredible like geniuses you know people like einstein and stuff like that who you know were were kind of considered like dunces in school and were you know kicked out and if the teachers had their way they probably would have just been sent to like I, I don't i don't know much about this history so i'm sort of like uh you know I'm i'm paraphrasing a lot but i think there's a lot of cases where there's this sort of you know a kind of a, a sliding doors moment where like they you know they just send the kid off to like military school or what you know whatever it is because they think they're no good and, and really they're just you know they're just different they see the world differently and they just don't quite fit into that environment they're in at that time mm-hmm. uh, and i think we're all like that in some way i think we're all a little bit different we're all a little bit weird and we but we a lot, a lot of time we feel like that 's a defect because we see this society and this world around us that 's very rigid and it 's like you have to fit into box a, B or C you know and I think that 's an, another thing like another beautiful thing like opportunity about what 's happening now is is all of these old models of you know what even you know even what a job is, what it means to like make how you make money and how you make a living and um, you know what it means to have a career all those things are, are just very, so much more fluid now so much more flexible and it 's a chance and and we can you know we can create our own companies we can we can collaborate with people across the world like and we don 't need a lot of money or or expertise to do that and it 's just uh yeah it 's an incredible opportunity to kind of like redefine um just redefine the rules and and like get in touch with the stuff that that we can give like the stuff that the stuff that's our our weirdness our our genius yeah. um and i
0: love i love the way you put that like to redefine the roles and it's so true that that's like definitely possible there have you been following a little bit um what's going on with like crypto art right now and the market? Art? i haven't even heard yeah <laughs> there's this Pretty cool. I mean, just as one little example of like rewriting the rules of, you know, how about um, creating like a totally new, you know, system of exchange of value based around digital artwork. And there's this like awesome kind of like momentum being built around the crypto art. So you, it using the technology of cryptocurrency and um, the blockchain Mm -hmm. to allow for kind of like certifying the uniqueness of a piece of digital art. And a lot of, um, you know, digital artists are now uh, selling their art or it's becoming part of permanent collections in exchange and exchanging value through, you know, through this kind of totally new um economic you know new version of a of an art economy mm. that, that exists in the digital realm uh, you know digital artists have been kind of uh left out of the art world in a lot lar- in a large sense you know d- the art world is a great example of something how can you deal with that like i'm a digital artist like people or whatever or, uh someone like that and you know my art is it doesn't exist in the, on the wall of a gallery it's not doesn't physically manifest itself as a painting or a sculpture and therefore you know maybe there, there's no value structure there for it and and this this is like literally like you were saying you know kind of like well what if we rewrite the rules what if we kind of create our own economy what if you know uh, people who are super creative Um, but then have to work like three day jobs to support themselves actually have like a totally different means of exchanging value that sits outside of the regular model of economy. Maybe we we should rethink economics overall. (laughs) I mean, these are like crazy things, but they're on a smaller scale like crypto art is like an example of, you know, someone questioning a system that exists and, and, Proposing and putting something in place that works, that provides an alternative and maybe like a livelihood and a path to existence and freedom on some level for like a whole category of creative people in the world. It's interesting. I mean, that maybe we're going to see more of that, you know, maybe with this kind of enormous sort of pool of like people creating. We're going to be finding and, and thinking of new ways to like structure the idea of exchange of value and economy. You mm-hmm. know, that's not just about like me paying you something, but rather maybe there's other ways of like making it make sense. You know, or mm-hmm. exchanging services based on value other than currency who knows i mean mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not an economist so like that probably sounds like ridiculous but no, to someone course. who knows i, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about. anything about it either
1: but you you also know yeah. charles eisenstein right like he writes about the gift yeah. economy and,
0: right you know yeah
1: sort of it kind of yeah just just rethink like rethinking the mm. and it is it's one of those things that we just we just use the, the like the way the economy again like i probably sound like a like a an idiot (laughs) i know nothing about it but but it is essentially just a it's just a made-up system that we've just been using for centuries right and kind of and and it's like any system like if it it, it's only you know it's there it's supposedly there for our own benefit right but sometimes you, you get these systems you've been using them for so long you kind of forget to question like if this is still working for us Totally, and it, and it seems like in many ways it's, it's, it's not, you know, cause it's like nobody really understands it and it seems to keep going up and down and people are getting, you know, like recessions and, and all this stuff. And it's like, um, maybe there's a and better way. Yeah. And, and,
0: absolutely. Like, yeah. N- like nobody thought to ask, right. It, like look yeah. what happened with working from home and, um, and, uh, you know, people working in office towers and things like that like you know it was never really questioned Mm wait wait a minute why are we all doing this (laughs) it doesn't make any sense totally and then all of a sudden it's like it it makes perfect sense all of a sudden so what else have we (laughs) not questioned here you know but should we start asking some? that comes back
1: it comes back to that thing about be asking the big questions like like what's it all about right it's like if we don't ask those big questions then we we stay in our little like you know, a little uh, rat maze and we don't, yeah. we don't realize that there's a, you know, there's a big forest on the other side. Right. It's like, I think yeah. that's, that's it. That's, that's the, that's the way out. I think that's yeah. how, that's how we get out of this mess is is by so we, uh, sort of, yeah. Like unplug
0: from up, the matrix. But, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But
1: hey, I think uh, maybe we should wrap it up there. Like I think could probably easily go for another couple of hours on this. But, uh, <laughs> I The sun's going to start rising over there pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. think I would love to do a, a part two and maybe even like a, yeah. a part three and four, but let's see how it oh, goes. Yeah. I um, know, I'd, lo- I'd love that.
0: So it's um, always like a huge pleasure and, and, and a treat chatting with you. Likewise, um, likewise, likewise. If you'd like
1: to find out more about Chris, you can of course check out the Tendril website, which is tendril.ca. Uh, Or you can check out his Instagram. His handle is tendrilchris on Instagram. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Creative Weirdo. If you enjoyed what you heard or there was something here that resonated, I'd love to hear from you. What's your hidden superpower that maybe even you didn't know about? And how are you going to unleash it on the world?